Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. working our way through Mark's gospel and this morning we have reached Mark chapter 3 and I'm going to read Mark chapter 3 verse 7. You may find it more helpful to look it up simply by page number, the Black Church Bibles, page 838, page 838. If you picked up a large print Bible, page 996 and that will help you to have that uh, open as we read God's word together. Let me read for us Mark chapter 3 verse 7. Remember the ending of last week, verse 6, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. So Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain. And called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Let's turn back to Mark chapter 3. It will help you to have that open in front of you. One of the reasons you will need it open is because we're going to look at it closely together. And I want you to see this morning two great surprises in our passage. There are two shocks in front of us in what we have just read. To help you see the first shock, I want you to come back in time with me. All the way back to the 27th of August, 2021, two weeks ago, when Cristiano Ronaldo, one of the greatest footballers of all time, rejoined Manchester United. Now, I guess you'd need to have had your head in the sand, even if you're not a football fan, to have seen that over the past weeks. If you are a Man Man United fan, it it was a glorious moment, wasn't it? This is the homecoming of a truly global icon, a superstar, 337 million followers on Instagram last time I checked. 
He is a marketing dream, isn't he? A, a one-man money machine for anything that he puts his name to. In fact, he's so powerful with money, isn't he, that it goes the other way. Some of you will have seen during the European Championships, he sat down for a press conference, and as part of the whole marketing campaign, there were two Coke bottles in front of him, Coca-Cola, packed full of sugar. And Cristiano Ronaldo, the athlete, picked them up and moved them off to the side and picked up a glass of water and said, drink water instead. And to my amazement, I discovered that the next day, $4 billion had been wiped off Coca-Cola's market value. Astonishing, isn't it? So I want you to imagine something with me. I want you to picture the boardroom in Old Trafford in Manchester as Ronaldo puts pen to paper, signs his name on the dotted line. He has signed the contract. There it is in black and white. He is back, a Man United player once again. And as he puts his pen down on the table, the, the, the marketing people in the room just are beside themselves with excitement, aren't they? The, the tweets are ready to send, the, the photos are ready, the world's media is outside the door, the crowds are literally gathering in their thousands. And just as they're about to click send on the first tweet, Ronaldo raises his finger to his lips and says, Shh, tell no one that I'm here. Tell no one that I've signed. No one. And he orders them to keep his contract a complete and utter secret. And he slips out the side door. The hottest ticket in town. In, hottest ticket in the world. And he orders anonymity. Who does that? It's, it's very possible this morning that if you are a Christian and you know and love the Bible... Or if you only have a very vague connection to Christianity, this is all new to it. It is possible that actually we all have the same general idea in our heads that this person that we're reading about, Jesus Christ, you maybe picture him as a kind of Scandinavian-looking model, sort of drifting through Palestine in the first century, occasionally looking off dreamily into the distance, saying profound things, probably with children around his feet, few disciples by his side, maybe carrying a, a lamb now and again. In fact, Mark wants you to imagine instead a man, change the picture, imagine a man trapped in the squeeze at Kabul airport. The, the, the vast crowds clamoring just simply to touch him. He wants you to imagine the celebrity with a, a fan base so enormous that they cannot ever step out the front door or they would literally be crushed to death. Look at verses 9 and 10 again of what we read together. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd lest they crush him. The surprise is that in the midst of all of this, when the unclean spirits, when, when Satan's realm, the realm of darkness and evil, when they see who he really is, friends, here is the surprise. He lifts his finger to his lips and says, Shh, secret, please. Why? Isn't this why he came? Isn't, isn't it why he came for everyone to know he is the son of God? You see, you see look at the crowd, the, the size of them. Maybe the crowd are all fans, but, 
they're not followers of Jesus, wouldn't it help them to know who he is, to become, to move from fan to follower? Surprise number one, why the secrecy? And I'm going to leave this hanging for you, friends. I'm not actually going to tell you today why the secrecy. We are embarking on Mark. I want you to wrestle with that. We're going to see it again. The answer to it, as it comes and as it unfolds, is astonishing. Why the secrecy? Surprise number one. Surprise number two. Why the seizing? Why the seizing? Look at verse 20. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he's out of his mind. Now, I reckon that if we know anything about Jesus, we know that he died on a cross and we know that he had 12 disciples or, or better, 12 apostles. It's kind of just what everybody knows about Jesus. He died and he had 12 followers. It kind of gets associated with him, doesn't it? And it, it's not weird to us. It's not a big deal to us. Jesus and the 12, of course, it's kind of the whole point of Jesus. He had 12 apostles. So why after he chooses them does his family say it's time to call the doctor? He's lost his mind. We think it's ordinary, it's normal. They think it's time to restrain him. You see that in verse 21? Here he is so pressed again, so physically crushed that he can't even eat. So when his family heard it, surely it should say they went out to protect him, to, to shield him, to, to help him. No, they went out to seize him. It's the same word that Mark is going to use again and again to describe people who want to put their hands on Jesus to harm him, to, to stop him in his tracks. Surprise number two, Jesus is doing something here that looks like the actions of someone who has taken leave of his senses. So what is it? Here's what I want to do this morning in our time together. I want to give us one sentence that summarizes all the verses that we read, that summarizes our passage. I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to give you what we call the theme sentence, the theme of the theme of both, both sections that we read. Then I want to show you why I've said that. And then I want to land it for us today, right there on your laps as to why this matters. Why what Mark wrote matters so much for you today, more than anything else you're going to hear, apart from what you'll hear this evening. It matters so much. So here's the big picture. Here's my summary of Verses 7 to 21, okay? Here it is. The Lord of all the world calls a new Israel and rejects the old Israel. The Lord of all the world calls a new Israel and rejects the old Israel. The Lord of all the world. That's verses 7 to 12. The Lord of all the world, 7 to 12, calls a new Israel, verses 13 to 19, and rejects the old Israel, verses 20 to 21. Actually, it's rejecting the old Israel is all the way down to the end of the chapter, verse 35, but it is, it is running all the way through this. 
So, so here's why I've said that sentence. The first bit, the Lord of all the world, verses 7 to 12. We read these verses, don't we, with, with Western eyes, not Bible eyes. So in verses 7 to 8, as I was reading it, I, I, I suspect at the end of the reading, if, if you were asked to name the places that were listed, we wouldn't remember them, would we? I, I didn't notice them till a week. They're just names. But actually, Mark is using geography to teach theology. He's using geography to teach theology. This is the promised land that Jesus is in. The land God gave to his people Israel. And Mark wants us to see that from all over that land, from every quarter, from every part of it, the crowds are flocking to who? To the Pharisees? To the temple? No, to this man, to Jesus, from all over the land. Do you remember in Braveheart, William Wallace's fame is spreading, and you have the wonderful music, and as his his fame is spreading, you have the pictures of the peasants coming down from the hills, coming from all over Scotland, and they're all coming to him. One man, so significant for the whole land. But, Friends, look again at the place names. More than this, more than Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, they were all dominantly Jewish territories. But more than that, people are coming now from Idumea and beyond the Jordan that were mixed territories, Jewish and Gentile. And then, look, they were coming from Tyre and Sidon, largely Gentile territories. Look, look, Mark is saying, who is this who can unite the clans? That's the phrase in Braveheart, isn't it? That's what he's told to do, unite the clans. The clans are flocking to Jesus, yes, but more than this, the nations are coming to Jesus. All the way through the Old Testament, Israel was called to be a light to the world. And if Israel shone brightly on the world stage, then God said, all the nations of the earth will come to you. If Israel shines one day, all nations will come to you. The the Old Testament promised that Zion, Jerusalem, would be a city on a hill. And her light would flow out to the ends of the earth and all the nations would come. Here we are in Israel and the nations are streaming to who? One man, Jesus to Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of all the world, Mark is saying. So what is he doing? He is calling a new Israel. A new Israel, verses 13 down to 19. Genesis chapter 49, there were 12 tribes of Israel. And so Jesus choosing 12 is not a coincidence, is it? He's doing something with these 12 He's doing what God had done in the Old Testament by forming 12 tribes. And so just look at the language with with me, would you please? The language is so deliberate. Verse 14, he called to him those whom he desired and they came to him. Verse 14, and he appointed 12. The word appointed is literally made. He made 12. If you appoint, you select from an existing lot, don't you? And you You raise the existing lot to a new status. But if you make, 
You bring something new into existence. The same idea again uh, is there later on in the verse. Verse 16, he made the 12. It's the same word for the very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God made the heaven and the earth. And just like Adam named the animals, look what Jesus is doing. As these come, he's come to him, he, he's not just accepting them, is he? He's renaming some of them. Jesus makes a new entity of 12, and then as they come to him, he renames those who belong to it. Friends, you see the wonder of what Jesus is doing here? The Lord of all the earth is calling a new Israel to his side. He is starting again with a new creation. But by making a new Israel, making 12 all over again, so that you cannot actually get more radical than what Jesus is doing here. You cannot get more radical. See, in the first century, if somebody asked, where are the people of God? Where are God's people today? In the first century, people would have said, well, look, they're, they're everywhere. They're, they're all over the promised land. Look at the tribes of Jacob all spread out. That's where God's people are, spread out over the promised land. Wherever you see a Jew, you see a descendant of Abraham. Somewhere, in some way, they are connected to those 12 tribes. And here is Jesus saying, no, no, that, that was old. That was yesterday. This is new. You cannot put new wine into old wineskins. I I have not just added 12, Jesus is saying, so that we now have 24 tribes. No, I have made 12. 12 new representatives so that if you are now looking for the true people of God, you need to look at these 12, not those 12. These 12, not those 12. The Lord of all the earth is calling a new Israel. And so, friends, can you see what's coming? Can you feel the flip side? Calling a new Israel means what? Rejecting the old Israel. Can you see how we got here? Look at chapter 3, verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Jesus came to his own people. He did not come to reject them. He came to the old Israel as their Messiah, as their King, as the Lord of Israel. What does John's gospel say? He came to his own and his own received him not. And so their rejection of him seals his rejection of them. Verse 7, Jesus withdrew. See, we think he's just, we we look at that word and think, oh, he's just having a quiet time going off for a rest. It is judgment. The king is in your midst and he's retreating from you. He withdrew in verse 13. He called to him those whom he desired. He is choosing, he he is drawing the lines now, not them. So that what what you have in the rest of chapter 3, Will is going to take us through it take us through it next Sunday. In the rest of chapter 3, from 20 down to verse 35, Jesus is in fact forming a whole new family around him, isn't he? 
If you are bound to Jesus by blood at the end of Mark chapter 3, if you are bound to him by blood, but you cannot see who he is, then you actually are not part of his family. It's an astonishing thing. You become an outsider, not an insider, if you don't know who he is. And friends, that is why I think we have the surprise of verse 21. Jesus' family are trying to seize him because they are thinking the same as everybody else. Who on earth does he think he is? Who on earth does he think he is? Ronaldo puts his finger to his lips. He says, don't, don't breathe a word about me to anyone. Ronaldo slips out the side door. And when they find Ronaldo again, he hasn't gone home. He's up in the manager's office in the boardroom. And he's got 12 people around him that nobody's ever seen, no one, never played for the club before, never been spotted, not, not new talents. And Ronaldo's sitting there and he's giving out the football shirt. You're, you're my new center forward. You two are the new midfield. You're the wingers. I'm calling those whom I desire to me. Well, I, I'm not just here to play. I'm here to run the entire show. What would the club say, even for a player like Ronaldo at that moment? What would they say? He's out of his mind. Who, who does he think he is? Have you heard what Jesus has only gone and done now, his family are saying? Now, the word's going around like wildfire. He, he, he went up a mountain like Moses and he like Moses, and gave the law to the 12 tribes. Jesus has gone up a mountain and he's made 12 apostles like God did with Jacob and he's given them new names like Adam did. He thinks he's even greater than the Sabbath. He thinks he's a new Moses, a new Adam, a new Jacob. He thinks he's the founder of the true Israel. Who on earth does he think he is? Let's seize him. Take him home, sort him out before this gets out of hand. And I want to just pause here, and I want want to dwell on this. Friends, what does it mean that the Lord of all the earth has called a new Israel and rejected old Israel? That there is something special about these 12. Not not because there's something special about them as individuals that made Jesus look at them and say, Oh, I, I could really use you. I really need you in my team. They're not special in that way. No, the the 12 are special because they are the foundation of the new and true people of God. You and I are here today because we have become followers of Jesus. We are disciples of Jesus, but we are not apostles of Jesus. These 12 are foundational. They're doing something new here. And what they are doing is showing that Jesus is reconstituting the people of God around him. Not around ethnic tribal descent. Let me say that again. Jesus is reconstituting the people of God around him. Not around ethnic tribal descent. Now that matters much more than you think. So just track with me on this. Ethnic Jewishness still exists today. 
We know that, don't we? You can be born a Jew. You can be born a Jew in Palestine. You can be born a Jew in New York. You can be born Jewish all over the world if your lineage is Jewish. And Judaism still exists today. The the world religion that tells its story through the pages of the Hebrew Bible. Only the Old Testament books, not the New Testament books. It is a major world religion that traces its story back through the 12 tribes to Abraham. So when you stop and think about that, friends, can you see the monumental significance of what Jesus is doing? Monumental contemporary significance. Where are the new people of God, the true people of God today? They are found where? Only in relationship to Jesus. He he has redefined who the true Israel is. It is no longer ethnicity tied to a nation. Friends, Judaism, without sight of its Savior. Oh, friends, can you feel the pain of this? Judaism, without sight of its Jewish Savior who came to his own, born of a Jewish mother. Judaism, without sight of its Jewish Savior, our Savior, is not by itself a saving religion. Ethnic Jewishness still exists, yes, but it doesn't save. Judaism still exists as a monotheistic faith, but it has no place for Jesus as Lord, and so it does not save. It's why Paul says, Romans chapter 9, doesn't he? He says, my heart is breaking for my own people. My heart is breaking so much that if it were possible, I would swap places from them. Let me be cut off from Christ instead of them. If it meant they could be joined to him. Cut off from Christ. That's the tragedy, isn't it? To to be born a Jew, but to be cut off from your own Messiah. Your king, the Lord of Israel, is it's one of the greatest tragedies on earth. It's why Jesus says what we're going to see him say in verses 31 to 35. See that at the end of chapter 3? Who is God's family? It's now defined by being in Jesus' family. And Jesus' true family is not defined by whether you share his bloodline, but by whether you want to submit to him and follow him and love him. Well, friends, who must Jesus be to speak like this? Who does he think he is? You know, it's very possible. And and, and this is true. It should be, if you're tracking with me this morning, if you don't know this person I'm speaking about, this likely is hugely offensive to hear this. Only Jesus, not Judaism, All religions do not lead to God. Is that what you're saying? How on earth can anybody say this in a world of religion? Who is Jesus claiming to be that someone might believe that he and he alone is the only way to God? And so, friends, if if you're troubled by it, rightly, understandably, I want to invite you to stay with us, to keep coming week by week. Stay until you get the answer to that first surprise. 
unusually for me yesterday in Heathrow Airport, I, I bought books. Uh, not unusual that I buy books. I buy books all the time. But unusual that I bought books in Heathrow Airport uh, in the bookstore. I bought Barack Obama's uh, autobiography, A Promised Land. And Barack Obama, I was reading up on the flight home. He says that book is simply his story. He said, it is simply my story of how it w- I discovered that it was only by hitching my wagon to something larger than myself that I was ultimately able to locate a community and a purpose for my life. And I thought, wow, you're right. Only when I realized I needed to join myself to someone and something bigger than me that I find purpose and meaning for my life. He's right. You need something bigger. You and you alone and your story is not enough. So who is this claiming to be the Lord of all the earth? I want to say to those of us who are part of the furniture, regular part of Trinity, or maybe you're part of another church, I want to finish with this this morning. Can we see what Jesus is doing in the world? Just track the flow of this here. The Lord of all the world, what does he do? He chooses 12. He goes small, chooses a new Israel. He chooses a new 12 to reach the world. Is that the point of it? He says, go and preach, cast out demons, kick the darkness until it bleeds daylight. You know, Ephesians chapter four, Paul, Paul says that the church, you and me this morning, is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. It's a wonderful phrase, built on it. Old Testament prophets, New Testament apostles, and we are sitting on top of them. They are buried, but holding us up. And here's what it means, friends. If you are part of the church, you are part of the greatest thing that God is doing in the world. You are part of it. As I kept reading Obama, I hitched my wagon to something bigger than me. Do you know what the bigger thing is for him? America. The, the, the dream of America, the, the promise of America, democracy, that is his wagon. And I thought, wow, what a tragedy. Is that the greatest thing that there is in the world? One nation, as good as democracy is, is that the best that it can be? No, friends, if you are joined to these 12 men, you have hitched your wagon to the most important thing in the world. You need to be joined to these 12. They are the foundation stones. We are the bricks. We are the building that has been rising up through the centuries of time, but we are on the foundation of the apostles. And the foundation determines the building, doesn't it? If you're building a house and you watch them build a a square, uh, six-foot-deep hole in the ground and they pour the concrete in and build the the bricks in, and then you come to your house and it's a round tower in the middle of it. You're in trouble, aren't you? If the building bears no connection to the foundation, no resemblance to the shape of the foundations, there's going to be a problem. It is not going to last. And if you end up as a lone brick, friends, out there somewhere floating around, not part of the church, 
you will eventually lose connection to the church's head, Jesus. It's really important to get this. House group is not church. A men's Bible study is not church. Thursday group women's study is not church. Youth group is not church. Christian union is not church. Very common to get people who attend a small group but are not built on the foundation of the apostles. And I want you to see this morning that what Jesus did in choosing these 12 is foundational for what he did in choosing us, in choosing you, the church, this morning. Somebody has said these 12, we're going to look at them, is a picture of the church in all its wild diversity. I love that phrase, a picture of the church in all its wild diversity. Can you see that? Just look at them with me. Simon, verse 16, the first one, to whom he renamed Peter. Peter means rock, stone. He is the foundation on which Jesus is building. And these 12 include two people who will disown him, Peter, and who will betray him, Judas. What does verse 13, verse 13 say? Jesus called to him those whom he desired. You see what Mark wants us to know, friends? Neither denial nor betrayal surprise Jesus or thwart his purposes. He builds his church on people who let him down. Let him down in the most grievous of ways. James and John, what what does he say to James and John? You two come here, verse 17. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. And he says, I'm going to give you two the name hotheads, sons of thunder. You're going to meet them later on. Luke's gospel, chapter 9. Do you remember? The Samaritans reject Jesus. And what did James and John say? Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? Oh, Jesus, Jesus knows them, doesn't he? He just looks, there's something about them. Now, these are people who meet an obstacle and they assume that the only way through that obstacle is the scorched earth approach. I want you to, Jesus says. Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Judas. You only ever hear a small amount about them again. Judas is famous, of course, isn't he? But Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Judith, Judas, you only ever hear a small amount about them. And look at this, friends. Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, the foundation of the church that will spread through the ages, you never hear about them again. You never hear about them. Friends, do you see it? The, the new true people of God, the light now shining so that all the nations of the earth are going to stream to them. Surely these 12 are going to have their names in lights for all the world to see forever. Nope. They silently witnessed to the truth of who Jesus is, laid the foundation And they lie there now as hidden as the foundation of this building is. You will spend however many years we're here in this building. You will never see its foundations, God willing. They lie there hidden. 
but we are still looking at Jesus, aren't we? 2,000 years later, is that the shape of your life this morning, friends? Remember the words of Count Zinzendorf, preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. And look too, friends, as well, tucked into this list, this list of 12. Here is the most, I think this is the most beautiful one. Matthew, verse 18. Matthew was a tax collector, we learn in other, other parts of the gospel. He was a tax collector. In other words, Matthew was a collaborator. Uh, whatever we think of tax collectors today, it's not this in the first century. To be a tax collector was to be a traitor. A turncoat, he served the Romans taking money off his own people. You only have to look at Afghanistan today to see what people do to their own kind who turn against them. If you want to feel the same kind of cultural revulsion at the word tax collector today in our culture, think pedophile. You don't, you don't want a man like this anywhere near you. You, Matthew, come here to my side, and Simon the Zealot. A a man who had signed up to a movement committed to a holy war against Rome. Do you see it? Matthew, the tax collector who worked for Rome, the other one who wanted to murder Romans. And Jesus says, I choose you and you. Isn't it beautiful? Did you see the foundational shape of the church? Not just diversity, friends, but wild diversity. Two people who would hate each other. And Jesus says, you sit here at my side and you come and sit on this side, both of you. And proximity to Jesus changes the way people see each other, doesn't it? Closeness to Jesus changes the way we look at one another. You know, friends, the evidence that Jesus runs the church and not the minister is that there are people here who are not like the minister, but are here because Jesus has called them. Jesus has called them. Do you get it? Look, imagine if someone came into our midst and spent a couple of months with us and said, I've watched you all. I get it. I get why you're all together. You all have the same politics. You're all SNP voters. Or you're all labor, but you're a labor club. I get it. You're all, you're all the same. I can see what unites you. You're all young. You're all old. You all homeschool. You all use public schools. You're just a group put together based on your shared preferences. But it's not what Jesus is building, is it? Why are we all here together? I won't get you to do it the way that we did with the children. It's embarrassing. You can do it surreptitiously over coffee. No one will notice you do it, but just have a look at us. Listen, I I love libraries, rugby, and football in that order. Okay, dream day out for me is top floor of the Sir Duncan Rice Library. It doesn't get any better. Surrounded with the thoughts of the dead. The longer they've been dead, the better. Doesn't get better than that. That's your dream day out, isn't it? No, some of you love 
science fiction and rock music and you're an extrovert. We had somebody with us last week over lunch tell, saying to us, I, I'm an extrovert. I've had three days without people. I just love this. I just feel him sucking the energy out of the room. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with people? But we love each other. We love each other, don't we? Some of you would vote independence for Scotland tomorrow. Some of you would think it'd be the worst thing that could happen to Scotland. And what we think and feel about those things really, really matters to us. And we love each other. We love each other. I've seen you do it. I've seen you forgive one another, care for each other. And it is all because Jesus has called us to him. He is building, not us. You know, I discovered this past week, to my, to my astonishment, I guess to my horror, to be honest, that the NHS is spending huge salaries on employing inclusion and diversity managers. And I thought to myself, listen, save yourselves a pile of money. Come to church. We have an inclusion and diversity manager. The Lord Jesus Christ, he's been doing it for thousands of years, putting people like you and me together because look at this foundation that we are built on. Can I say to you, friends, that if you look around church and nobody looks like you, you feel I'm different here. It is probably the very evidence that Jesus has called you. Why else would you stay? Friends, this morning, if Jesus has called you, then you belong. That's all you need. Then you belong. Shame on us, brothers and sisters, if we ever make anybody think that they don't belong because they are different. No, not here. See what Jesus is doing? I want you with me. You, quiet, ordinary you. You will, you will go to your grave unknown. I want you, obnoxious, abrasive motor mouth. You, introvert, you, extrovert. I want you, come and be with me. So friends, the Lord of all the earth, the Lord of all the earth, can you see what he is building? May God give us eyes to see, ears to hear. For his sake, amen.